Alrighty, welcome to another week of Canon Calls. This week, I had the pleasure to speak with author Karen Pryor about the introduction she wrote for Lexham Press as they republished C.S. Lewis's Spirits in Bondage. Spirits in Bondage is a book of poems written by C.S. Lewis, and it was his first published work. So I asked Karen about who this young, non-believing Lewis kid was, as well as diving into what the book is and what it's about. Additionally, we talked about the plight of poetry in our world today and what it's going to take for folks to return to a love of verse. In this interview, Karen recommends the poems of Pastor George Herbert. And just for this week alone, folks who listen to this episode can get 20% off our copy of Herbert's poetry with a fantastic introduction from Pastor John Piper. From the introduction, Piper says this, Herbert loved crafting language in new and powerful ways. It was for him a way of seeing and savoring and showing the wonders of Christ. The central theme of his poetry was the redeeming love of Christ, and he labored with all of his literary might to see it clearly, feel it deeply, and show it strikingly. We don't have a single sermon that he ever preached. What we have is his poetry. And here, the beauty of the subject is wedded to the beauty of his craft. Go get the book from canonpress.com for 20% off. Sale ends Friday, July 3rd. So everybody move quick. Run, do not walk. And without further ado, meet Karen Pryor. Okay, now welcoming on Karen Pryor. Karen, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So, as I said in my email, I've taken it upon myself, upon this podcast, to really war against the uh, lack of love for poetry. And so I wanted to have you on because sort of the goal is to have poets uh, alive and then poets dead. Basically to introduce everybody to as much of the genre as possible. And luckily for us, you just published or you were a part of Lexham Press publishing Lewis's poems. You wrote an introduction for it. Do you mind introducing us to it's Spirits in Bondage? Yes. Do you mind introducing us to the C.S. Lewis that wrote Spirits in Bondage? Uh, most of us, I'm sure, are very familiar with sort of the... Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, um, but that was 1952. Who was this guy? That is really the important question. This this is Lewis's first published work, uh, published in 1919. He was a young man. He was actually, you know, just just a college student or fresh out of out of college. And even more importantly, not only was he young, but this is a pre-Christian Lewis. This is a Lewis who um, had served in World War I, was injured seriously, thought that he might not survive. Uh, and these poems, some of the poems were written while he was in service, some shortly after. Uh, and so we get a very different Lewis than most readers are familiar with from his Christian works. Yeah, I think he even published it under Clive Hamilton. Yes, um, which of course is his, you know, his, his first name and then his, his mother's um, maiden name. I imagine 
uh, at this point, he still is thinking, I think he, he really wanted to be a poet, correct? He, he did. I mean, he wrote a lot of poetry. This wasn't the last poetry that he wrote. It was the last poetry, I believe, that he published. Um, but he really, he had studied poetry. Of course, we know, most people would know that he was a um, an English professor and a scholar of, of Renaissance literature. So, of course, he read and loved poetry and, and, and wrote his own. And uh, it's interesting because in this work, you can see a lot of the influence on him. He's he, you know, he is a young man and he's imitating and echoing the poets that he read and loved and, and perhaps, you know, the this the worst criticism that might be made of these poems is that they are derivative of many of those earlier poets and they're a little bit archaic because he's, you know, not not writing in uh his current or contemporary style. Uh, but you can see that he's very knowledgeable in poetry and um, is well versed in it, pardon the pun, and loves it. <laughs> but the collection was was coolly received. And so um, he did turn away from writing poetry in part because of the cool reception. Yet at the same time, you know, he was young. Um, and so it would be interesting to think about how he might have developed as a poet if, if he had continued. But of course, we know that his life took a different turn. Can you introduce us to the work in and of itself? Yeah. So the title, as we've already mentioned, is Spirits in Bondage. And then the subtitle is A Cycle of Lyrics. Um, So lyric poems are poems that are um, generally under the the basic definition of a lyric is that it's sort of an intensely personal, expressive poem. Uh, It doesn't necessarily connect any particular form, um, but it's like a song, I guess. That's where the the name uh, comes from. But cycle is most interesting because cycle means that these are poems that are written kind of in an order. There's a cycle that takes place. Um, So even though it's a collection of poems and certainly anyone could pick up this book and just, you know, read a poem here or there, it really is uh, a volume that's meant to be read from start to finish. It's a cycle that has um, three movements or three parts um, the way that Lewis put it together and each of those each of those parts is a different part of the cycle uh, and moves um, in a general nature from the prison house which is the first part um, through a, a sort of an interlude called hesitation and then uh, to a third part which he titles the escape so the, just those titles of the parts gives you a sense of the kind of movement of the poems. And so uh, it really is meant, these poems are meant to be read in order as a cycle. So I'm curious, given the given that movement, and this is a, as you noted, a pre-Christian Lewis, this is not the Lewis that wrote uh, most of the works I'm sure all of us are very familiar with. What was the escape for him? How did that movement, where did it lead to for him? Well, of course, it doesn't lead to Christianity. Um, so that's why I think some people who are familiar with his his Christian works will might read these poems and think, wow, who is this guy? <laughs> um, and, it, you know, I mean, he actually uh, dabbles with uh, some witchcraft and uh, Satan speaking in the in these poems. Um, but of course, that doesn't 
you know, that doesn't necessarily preclude Christian belief. In fact, I mean, it is a Christian belief to believe in Satan. And, and Lewis is also echoing some of those other um, influences I mentioned earlier, particularly John Milton, a great Christian poet who wrote Paradise Lost in which Satan plays a great role. So, um, so even though this cycle doesn't lead to Christian faith and, and it is sort of dark and pessimistic throughout with glimmers of hope. Uh, what's fascinating is that we can see in these works the questions that Lewis is beginning to, to ask, um, the right questions, the ones that will eventually lead to Christianity. And so that's why I think anyone who loves Lewis and loves his Christian thought and, and might be open to reading poetry <laughs> would be very interested in reading this and, and benefit from it um, because it's a great little education in poetry as well as in Lewis. Yeah. And as you mentioned, even the things you mentioned that are sort of like asides, um, whether it's uh, Satan speaking or the witchcraft, those are, those are not, not elements of a later Lewis um, in his works and his writings. Uh, did you have the experience as you, uh, uh, you as you you wrote the introduction, as you're kind of reading these and getting more and more familiar with them? Did you have the experience of recognizing him? Do you recognize the Lewis we all know from later on in these early works? Oh, absolutely. I mean, not only do we have these, you know, Christian concerns of, of Satan, God, the spiritual, this, you know, even the title spirits and bondage. Um, we have lots of forays into nature and mythical creatures appear. Um, so there, there is a lot of, of Lewis, uh, the later Lewis already in this work. And, and one of the other things that's a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more philosophical um, is uh, the romanticism that I that I have always found in Lewis's works um, is here. And by romanticism, I don't mean love, romantic love, although that that's, comes <laughs> under romanticism. But what I'm talking about is this sort of tendency to um, to see the world according to um, dualisms or binaries, to think in terms of spiritual spiritual versus physical you know uh nature natural versus supernatural um good and evil um there you know there's a there's a a rootedness in romanticism that we find in the literary tradition that lewis is part of and that he later writes about um and of course that's part of uh, our our christian understanding as well that there are these sort of dark and light, morning and night, good and evil, God and Satan. Um, that run, that idea runs heavily through these poems and I think is also very influential in um, Lewis's later works. Right. So you're not thinking of uh, sort of the paperbacks at the grocery store. You're thinking more of the, <laughs> <laughs> of, the of where Mary Shelley and, and Percy Shelley and that, that line. Exactly. exactly. Capital R romanticism. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, Piper always tells the story about his professor uh, calling him the romantic rationalist, where hmm. which maybe is its own dualism. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, and and I think that's actually a good way of putting it. Um, the romantic rationalist. So, uh, and I'll probably uh, maybe I'll draw a little bit more on uh, some so areas I'm more familiar with. I'm actually not a C.S. Lewis scholar, um, uh, and 
am not widely read in his works, but of course I'm, I'm familiar, you know, I read Chronicles of Narnia when sure. I was a kid and read his essays, but this idea of, of romanticism and rationalism as sort of um, polar opposites is is a romantic idea and it also reflects kind of the the history of ideas as even within the modern age where the modern age begins with rationalism and then we have a counter swing of romanticism and then when that pendulum comes back it sort of uh rests in the in something that we might call existentialism um right which which is re- that that is actually the period that Lewis himself was living and writing in. So he was kind of grappling with, with those tensions. Um, But we also see it in other writers, maybe to help make some connections um, for listeners. Um, So for example, I think immediately of Sense and Sensibility, because I recently, um, you know, published an annotated edition of this work by Jane Austen. Um, And that even that, that phrase Sense and Sensibility um, refers to reason or rationality um, and sensibility suggests romanticism or emotionalism. Um, so even writing a century before Lewis, Jane Austen was also wrestling with these sort of binaries and these, and these dualisms that we, I think, continue to wrestle with today. And, and, and our tendency as human beings is to pit, pit them against one another but they really are not meant to be pitted against one another. They are meant to, to exist in tension and to inform one another. And that's to bring it back to Lewis. I think we see him wrestle. We see him wrestling with that very starkly in these poems, but in his later life, especially after he becomes a Christian, I think he bring he understands how to bring them um, in balance with one another more helpfully. Can we go get that uh, annotated copy of Sense and Sensibility? Well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> yes, it actually just came out in March. And so it's, okay. it's published by B&H Publishers. Um, and you can find it there. You can find it on Amazon, um, anywhere. And so uh, it's, I give an introduction where I talk about these things um, and it's, yeah, much more in that volume. But I think and that's actually why I picked uh, that novel. I mean, I love Austin. Of course, I would pick her. Um, but I picked Sense and Sensibility to um, to represent to the world because I do think this tension that we feel um, between rationality and romanticism that Lewis struggled with is one that we still haven't quite figured out. And so I think that any way that we can talk about that tension and how to bring those things into harmony with one another is going to help us as individuals and also help us in the world today. Totally. So there is a particular value in reading Although, you know, someone might think, well, this didn't sort of uh, have quite the explicit edification that maybe Narnia has or some of his other books, would you, you would still recommend these to Christians and to uh, to benefit from, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, this is this collection of poems is I would think anyone who loves Lewis would want to, to read them. But I also think uh, that. I'm hearing from more and more Christians who are interested in reading poetry in general. Um, and poetry is, you know, it's, it, it can be, it can be hard. Um, it's, oh, it, 
reading poetry goes against every other kind of reading that we do today because so much of our reading is superficial and fast and skimming and poetry requires all that's opposite of that. And these poems are, um, it, they vary in difficulty. Uh, they vary in complexity. Um, but it's such a wide range that this book is almost like a little course in poetry. Um, and so I think uh, anyone who just wants to read more poetry and um, benefit from reading poetry more would enjoy this volume. Okay. You get introduced to a lot of different forms, a lot of different styles, a lot of different ideas. And, it, and some of it's, you know, a little more difficult than others. But a lot of this is just beautiful, simple poetry. Karen, I love it. I mean, you're pitching this episode like a pro. I want to <laughs> I want to chase that down a little bit. Um, and, and before we move on, that that book can be found at Lexham Press, uh, Cycles and Bondage. Uh, wait, I just messed that up. No. Uh, oh, Spirits and Bondage. Spirits yeah. and Bondage. Spirit. Uh, you write the introduction. I saw, uh, Lexham has a deal with, uh, if somebody uses Logos Bible software, I saw there's a deal to get it digitally through there for a cheaper price. Um, it can also be found on Amazon and I assume everywhere, most places people look for books. Yes. And let me just say one other thing, because since this is radio or podcast or yeah, whatever, yeah. Uh, audio, um, they won't know this, but I want to say, um, that this book itself, the physical book is beautiful. It's uh, cloth bound. It's thin. It's you know it's a, it's a collection of poetry, so it's not a thick book. It's light. It's but it's hard bound, and it's um, cut in a slightly smaller size than standard, um, which is a more expensive for a publisher to do. So kudos to Lexham for presenting a beautiful volume that they had to invest a little bit more in, but that is just a joy to hold. So I'm sorry to geek out about no, the books, no, no, no. but I am, I, am a, I am a book person. It's a beautiful volume. I love it. Karen, you teach literature. Yes. You are, uh, you're no longer at Liberty. You're... To Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Okay. What, it, will your course load look similar? What will you be teaching in the fall? I will be, it will, it will be somewhat similar. It'll be some new courses for me. I'll be teaching, actually, I think I'm teaching um, a couple of courses in world literature. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I'll be, be teaching in the, in the, uh, teaching English classes in the college there. Um, and then eventually some, uh, a course in uh, Christianity, the church and culture and things like that. So it's a, yeah, it's a big, big transition for me after 21 years at Liberty. Awesome. Well, so I wanted to get your thoughts. I wanted to get your opinions on the question. Uh, you're more than more than qualified to answer, I feel like, but it is tugging you into the world of poetry and the issues of poetry, maybe. Um, I mentioned we had uh, Billy Collins on to talk about this a little bit and uh, just about what is it with poetry that, uh, you know, I feel like when I am trying to pitch poetry to someone, it's it's really just in one ear and out the other. It's sort of just oh, that's Jake's thing. He just likes poetry for some reason. Um, Billy Collins said that we should start people with Billy Collins and not Chaucer. That was his, that was his plan. Um, do you, do you have thoughts about this? Are, are you? That, I, I did not know that he said that. That is actually what I say. Like when <laughs> I, 
like Billy Collins is always one of the first poets that I recommend to people who want to get into poetry. So well, Billy Collins and I think alike. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes to that. Um, yeah. Do you want me to? What? Do you, yes. No, please. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what's is this, your, what's is your next this, question? <laughs> well, so is this uh, is this phenomenon one that you also see? Uh, uh, you said something earlier to the effect of. Uh, the form of poetry is one that's just so countercultural to who we are. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe you have the opportunity, given your profession, that you can just force people to read, and then hopefully, <laughs> along you know a semester, they can sort of pick it up, and then hopefully by the end they like it. But um, what would be your approach to someone who's just like, man, I don't like poetry. What is the value of poetry? Uh, how, how do you approach all that? Oh, okay. I love that. Are we, are we going to do a whole episode on this? Because I'm up, I'm here for it. Okay. Um, so I love teaching poetry to uh, my, to the freshman classes, you know, the required classes that freshmen have to take an English class and they hate poetry and they're only in there because they have to. I love teaching poetry to those students because um, I love to help people who think there is either no value in poetry or that they can't understand it or it's full of hidden meanings. I love to um, to strip them of those illusions. Um, so first, I would just say anyone who thinks that they don't enjoy poetry I hope never listens to music on the radio or on <laughs> Pandora, right? Because right, right. we we love poetry. We love song. We we go to church and sing songs. Those are all examples of poetry. Now I know it's like we think, you know, Chaucer definitely is a long ways away from sweep me away, Lord, sweep me away, sweep, sweep, sweep <laughs> me away, which I think is a real song I heard once. Um, yes. So there definitely are layers and, and differences in complexity, but human beings love song and love poetry. We love rhyme. We love rhythm. We love language. To me, one of my loves of Twitter is that it's its form requires us to write in kind of short um, phrases and sentences that if that, that can become an art form. Um, most people don't use it that way, but uh, it is, you know, something we can strive for that Twitter can be almost like a form of, of contemporary poetry if, if used well. Um, so poetry is all around us. We do love it. We do immerse ourselves in it. Um, if we take it to the next level and say to read the more formal poetry that's on the page, um, the main thing that we have to do is what I, I said before. We have to read in a completely different way than we read a newspaper, a magazine, a Twitter feed, Facebook, blog post. We have to read slowly. We have to immerse ourselves in the wor- words. We have to just again, slow down, read aloud, maybe listen to it. Um, and think about the words, think about it as, is not think about it as condensed milk, right? It's just like <laughs> packed with meaning. We just want to take a little sip of it, um, and enjoy it and not gulp it down. Um, so poetry is just counter to most of the other writing that we read. Um, and, 
there are no hidden meanings whatsoever. It's all right there on the page. It's just simply that the arrangement of the words and the word choices themselves and the connections that are made by either rhyme or stanzas or alliteration or repetition, all those different ways that poetry makes connections are things we should look for and think about. They're all there. We just have to pay attention to them. Who are some other mm-hmm. poets that, that you love and love to introduce in class, maybe to uh, the students, as you were mentioning, your favorite ones uh, to try to flip on poetry? Sure. So um, there are so many, and, um, and, and, I, and it's, it's, there are so many different kinds of poets that I love to recommend um, something, someone who will kind of hit a sweet spot of a person. So some people, some people who might be, have a more theological mind and, and just kind of want that depth um, would, would love 17th century poets like mm. John Donne mm. um, or George Herbert. George Herbert is amazing. You know, these are both, uh, J- George Herbert was, a, was an Anglican minister who wrote, mainly about the church and about Christian ideas. Um, and yet his poetry is, it, it's in some ways it's, it's simple um, and easy to understand, but so deep and profound yet it's 17th century. So it's a little bit foreign. Langston Hughes is a 20th century African-American poet who is just so powerful and so amazing. Um, his, his works are relatively simple to read on the surface yet just so so ingenious. So he's another one that I would recommend. Um, of course, um, Billy Collins, Dana Joya is a more contemporary poet um, that uh, people might like. And rather than, than necessarily recommending individual poets, a, a really neat kind of um, thing that people can do is go on Amazon and look for any college textbook no matter how old or how many editions ago it was, that's an introduction to poetry or even to, to literature. Um, one of the best ones is Perrines. You can pick them up pretty cheaply, especially if they're a few years old and used multiple times. And they will give you kind of an anthology of poetry that is taught to, you know, in freshman English classes. And they give context and questions and just a wide variety. And that way you get exposed to lots of different poetry from lots of different cultures and eras and get some instructional material, just a little bit, that can help you kind of gain entry to it. And then you can actually find some poets there um, that interest you and go out and and read more of their works. I think that's the best advice I can give to anyone who just kind of wants to begin reading poetry and doesn't know where to begin, go pick up a a cheap um, freshman college introduction to poetry. I love it. The goal has just been to basically guilt people into poetry. That's my goal. I think that's the (laughs) best way to go go about this. Karen, thank you so much for offering uh, your time. I know you didn't have to do this. Um, can you tell us, is there a place that folks, uh, you've already mentioned your sense and sensibility annotations. We were talking about, uh, your recent introduction in, with Lewis. You have on reading well, finding the good life through great books. Where can people go to find more about what you're writing about and go get that? 
Sure. Well, um, they can go to my website, karenswallowprior.com, um, and uh, easily find uh, what I've been doing there or just follow me on Twitter. I'm way too active on Twitter. Uh, sometimes I try to write tweets that are a little bit more like poems, but uh, you can j- decide for yourself. And I'm uh, at Twitter at KS Pryor. Okay. Fantastic. Everybody go check those out. Karen, thank you so much. I'm glad we finally got a hold of you. I'm so glad. And thank you so much for having me. It was a delight. Of course. Appreciate you.